0: In a world of EMS podcasters, EMS Office Hours is the only live podcast bringing you the latest topics and opinions in EMS. Turn down your scanner and turn up your speakers as we join Jim Hoffman and Josh Knapp on their latest EMS podcasting journey.
1: Josh Knapp, and we also have uh, Dave Brennan Brenner on the with us as well. Hi, Dave. Hi, everybody. Um, I don't know what the hell is going on here. <laughs> to be edited out later. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at messages on Facebook here. Where? What? On your Tina uh... is in the chat. Hello. I see that. Yeah. Anyway, well, um. I want to mention before we get too much into some of the stuff we will end up talking about today is that we are being sponsored by EMS Manager. Go check them out. It's at EMSManager.net. Get yourself a free customized trial of their easy-to-use EMS employee scheduling and management software. And I will, of course, talk a little bit about them uh, a little more in depth later on in the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at EMS Safe. For the main show, or you can also follow Josh on Twitter as well. He's at new at Twitter. Um, and tweet, uh, tweet me, I dare you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's. I've been trying to get more active with the Twitter, um, my Twitter feed. Trying to get more uh, active with it. I was very active for quite a while, and you know, things start happening. I forget I even I forget I even have the app on my phone, but I do have an app called Hootsuite on my phone. And what I like about it is that I can actually send a tweet but it'll go to both my Twitter account, my Facebook page, my um, Oh, I've heard about that. Google Plus page. So anywhere that you follow us on EMS Office hours any one of those um, pages or whatever, any one of the of Twitter or EMS office hours on Facebook or on Google, um, so now we can it. catch your senseless ideas in three different formats. Thank you. And Thank the ideas you. are relentless and many.
2: Yes. They and do not, relentless they as they become. do not stop. They don't ever.
1: stop. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I send out emails. You know, know, something like our before. patient complaints. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, I talk about, I told you guys before, I send, out, I send the emails to my mailing list and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes I get an idea about something sent out to them and I kind of just, you know, I kind of rush the email out because I have the idea in my head, and I rush it out and, and get it out to them But I want to kind of freshen my mind and stuff. And, of course, when you do that, you know, you make a typo, it's not done. Um, oh, my God. i correct as you like it to be, and every English major starts to. It's like you insulted the Pope himself. Oh, my God. I start getting emails about how it's it's a junior high level, you um, uh, 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 uh. Error. Error, and, and you know, if I want to be taken seriously, I need to, to have it checked by a professional. I'm like, dude, it's a fucking email. Wow. Take it as, you know, take it as well, it is. Well, these
2: are the things, Dave, that you don't really see uh, of the public because you run a one-on-one class, and although I'm sure you've had some dickish students in your time, they never get to that degree.
0: Who are you guys?
2: <laughs>
0: wow! Wow! The senses are
1: off today. I tell you, it, it, it just—I I haven't used it, any four-letter words yet. Yet. Well, it, it gets—it gets frustrating to me because yes. of because of that. I mean, I I actually, you know what? I appreciate the feedback, but I do, of course, always want to improve. And it does sort of remind me. Okay, you know what? I've got this, this message I want to get out there, this information I want to get out there, but instead of just putting it down in like a, you know, a, a little couple little blurbs in the email, let me sit down and craft a more structured message to people, but I try to do it in a conversational manner, so it's never going to be 100% um, <clears throat> as if you look at like a, 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 a report or a research paper or something like that. I try to write it in a conversational sort of manner. So you know, there's commas and there's dashes and there's periods and, and you know, stuff that where they probably wouldn't normally be if I was writing it as a as a, a school paper. Um so I hope most people that read it understand that. But I know but I do know that there are some times that when I jot it down that there are some typos and things like that that even I, you know, don't catch and it's part of the You wouldn't use Twitter to write your dissertation then, huh? No, no, no. No. But how far,
2: how far away from that is the way the future will run? Because I'm told that the younger generation, and I hate to even say that, but it really makes me feel old, but I was watching this thing on social media, and most kids today, you know, we're talking about college-age kids, don't even use email anymore. Uh-huh. They, they use that for submitting their, their papers or getting homework assignments, but the way they communicate is through Twitter.
1: A lot of that. I, it's funny. I went to I went to a comedy show uh, a week or so ago, and they were talking. The comedian was talking about that, and and talked about how like nowadays, you know, you get you get uh, your smartphone, and it's like that is it. It is glued to like you know six inches away from your face, and everything is there. And it's funny. He he made me laugh because one thing he said, which I found was interesting, was. He talked about how, you know, you're, you're texting everybody, you're tweeting everybody, things like that. But then when your cell phone rings, now he's like, that is almost the equivalent of having an unexpected person show up at your house <laughs> your cell phone rings. He's like, what are you doing calling me on this number? Why don't you just text me or tweet me? You know, how dare you call me? Don't you understand? <laughs> I'm not looking to call, talk to anybody. I want it to be, you know, I, 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 don't, need, I, don't, I don't have to think for phone calls. I've got the things so I can tweet and, and uh, you know, go on Facebook and things like that. So here we have a device that I think was originally
2: meant to bring us closer together. I mean, how
1: phone calls, how, much more, right? go. how much more
2: accessible can you be? It used to be you had to wait till you got to your house and office yeah. or those things that stood on the street called payphones. Oh I God. don't know if people listening to this still know
1: they used to put phones. <laughs> That you'd put money in. Remember, you used to get script. you used to get the page. You get a page on your on your beeper, right? Right. And then you'd have to find a payphone to call the number that was on the on the you know that that you're getting called from on the beeper. Next week on the oldies show. I, it's just funny though, out honestly, it's not that it was not that long ago. I mean, I remember doing all that. that. We'll be talking about when TV
2: dinners were special. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you had to have special chairs for them and special tables.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, one you thing I want to microwaves. Something I want to I want to to talk about something that you that uh, Dave was talking about before we started the uh, the show. But um, well, the other thing I want, to, I want to sort of mention was the this post I put up on on Facebook, and I had asked my 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 Facebook fans what the heaviest patient was that they've <laughs> ever had. And I found it interesting because they, uh, you know, I got, a, I got a decent amount of comments, 35 people uh, commenting on it. And, I mean, there are some heavy patients. I mean, I, thought, I figured mine was, I have about the 700-pounder or so around there. It's probably the biggest I've ever had. But, I mean, people are in talking about 1,375 pounds, 1,500 pounds. I'm like, what? 1,500 pounds? Broke the bariatric lift on the truck. Yeah, wow. they're legendary. That's got to be, I mean, I, I don't know. It's
0: it's The bariatric stretch is not specced for 1,500 pounds. No,
1: I'm, I'm not sure what they are. What, do you have any idea what the max is on those on those stretchers and the lifts that they have on these trucks? They usually put them, I know that on our standard
2: uh, uh, Stryker uh, or Ferno, whatever, whichever brand it is. But they, they have, it's 650 for the standard. Uh, so I know, so I think that yeah. the bariatric is like 950, I'm going to guess. Hmm. You know? Hmm. I'm, I'm I think, sorry, I don't
0: know. And here's I the
2: thing. We had a woman, she was 500 pounds recently. And I think this is sort of how Jim and I got into this conversation because I text, either texted them or called him or something like that and pitched about it. But uh, she barely fit on the um on the uh, barry stretcher
1: uh-huh.
2: and and you know what you're talking now 900 pounds you're talking about somebody almost twice her weight so where's that going to go how how is somebody like that going to fit and i remember when i was rolling out my wrench at ems today that they had this product out there that had these webbing that incorporated your seatbelts into the webbing so it could literally pull their body fat up and Uh, into like a cylinder to make them narrower narrower yes so you could get them on the stretcher there's a couple devices
1: out there like that i know there's a um I think it's bear or something. It's called right, bariatric right, right. or whatever. Right. Um, I actually had a discussion with with him one of the one 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 of the EMS conferences, and I did a podcast from the conference, and he was one of the guests, and we talked about um, you know bariatric patients and how his device helps, and um, you know uh, uh, there's, there's, there's a few other ones out that you see they have the stuff now too. where You can put almost like a uh, um, uh, air lift under the patient to lift them up you put under the patient uninflated and then you inflate it and they lift
2: how do you get it under the patient
1: i mean i guess you got to roll under there like you would a blanket or you know roll them to one side roll them you know, to the other a, side i
2: shudder at the thought of that because some of these patients haven't been rolled in a long time <laughs> yeah
1: you know you know some people get get an attitude you of know, well you know if they got that big you know That's that's their problem you know I, 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 what what i started to think about when i started seeing a lot of, a lot of these responses though is, is how as providers we tend to when you get a patient that big right one of the you start you start focusing on um you know oh my god how are we going to get him out of the house how are we getting him into the ambulance you know and you you, just, you often lose sight of the reason why you're there, and it could be because of chest pain or difficulty breathing or things like that. And you've got other challenges that are, you're faced with that seem to kind of get, you know, kicked to the wayside because all you're thinking about is we got to get this guy out of the house, or this girl out of the house, and we got to cut holes in walls or, um, you know, remove banisters on staircases and get engine companies and all that stuff there. Um, and then the patient care sort of, you know, goes out the window because you're focused on that. Um, and I I just wonder, like, you know, if if EMS agencies should should have like a, a a policy in place for these patients, you know, on who to call, you know, what 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 resources you should you know activate right away, um, what sort of interventions you should be concerned with, you know, initially, you know, understanding that, you know, a lot of these patients that are big, it's hard to get, you know, EKG tracings on them. It's hard to get intravenous access on them. Um, and it's sort of like a side-type protocol. Well, and even, even if you can there, and I think Dave could speak
2: better to this, the actual EKG uh, 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 tracings will change because yeah. of the amount of uh, – Fat that they have, and what it does to their uh, circulatory and uh, uh um, respiratory system
1: oh yeah, so hey, Dave, uh, do you go uh, over any of that in your classes like when you yeah, get a very patient like where that's some place you put the lead someplace different for them, or well you know there's, there's not
0: a lot of studies on them because there aren't that you know there aren't that many but but here's here's what we know. We know that people who have more resistance before you get, you know, as you move away from the heart, it diminishes the size of the uh, EKG tracing. tracing. So the, if you've ever heard of like a pulmonary pattern EKG, it's all small. It looks small. It looks like a, like a cardiac tamponade EKG. It's all small waves. Okay. And uh, that's that's what happens. It, it gets smaller. Um, I, the validity of all of it it becomes hard i mean you you've got to take it um from where it comes i i just i tell people that when when that when that's the case you have to document you know the patient's weight with it, and the reverse is also true um a person who's, who has a scaphoid chest or um has had a mastectomy uh-huh. the waves will be huge because you're closer to the uh you're closer to the heart yeah there's less resistance so uh
2: yeah, well, I to, I've always maintained, and, you know, it's, it's funny because you have talks with family and you're, uh, or at family gatherings or friends, and they ask you about your job, and they ask you about, you know, oh, what was the most exciting or dangerous or whatever. Fill in the, uh, fill in the description there. But, you know, one of the things that I say is uh, it comes around. And they say, what's the heaviest person? And I say, you know, it's, um, the problem with heavy people isn't necessarily just their weight. You know, when you put on that much weight or when you're in poor health, you know, look, we all know that it increases your chances to have a medical emergency. I mean, that's a given. Uh, you know, uh, weight gain is, is, um, is not conducive to longevity, never has been. The other aspect, the other factor that I, that I always get on them and I say, you know, works against you is the size you are, it's harder to get an IV, it's harder to get intubation, the drugs that you give might not, you know, do at, be as effective as a potent because of, you know, the, the amount of weight you have changes, you know, the loading dose, things like that. So all of these aspects and factors that people who are think they're just battling the bulge, are really bad, battling the odds, you know, in a greater sense. And
0: and when they fall, while there may be a layer of protection or when they're in a car crash and their hands come out in front of them, if, if they're not restrained, and some of them are not restrained because the seatbelts don't fit them, if you go into the dashboard, you know, you've got that one-half MB squared, they got a lot of M. <laughs> no, I'm, right. I'm, not, I'm not kidding. It's very and if, true. A lot of weight there. And if you fall, you don't even have to fall. If you step off, if you step off the curb, if you go down a step, if you miss two steps,
2: um, your bones
0: aren't designed to support a 1,200-pound person or even a 700-pound person, and they break. You know, it it, it affects trauma,
2: it affects medical, and, of course, there are interventions,
0: as you said, you know.
1: Yeah,
2: How we can, what we can do when we do that. And it's, you know, I mean, who has it in this field, unless you work in, you know, a, a flat desert with only single-family residents or one-story buildings, you know, anywhere around, we've all had to climb stairs. We've all had to carry patients downstairs. And and who doesn't get up a couple, even a couple of flights? Hell, I've gotten into the first-floor apartment with four, four steps between me and the street, and I get there, and they're a, a largely obese patient, and I just sigh. I just go, why? You know, what are you doing? And, and, and it's kind of, and it just aggravates me. Is another pissing point that I'll, I'll say right here is that I had a, a woman who was a diabetic, and she paid no attention. She was actually that sort of, that voluminous, um, hyperlipid, You know, it wasn't even muscular fat. She was just bulging out of every area that she could, Um, and she was a diabetic, took no care of herself, uh, fell into uh, a hypoglycemic state, and uh, we couldn't get an IV in order to give her glucose. We had to give her some glucagon, which, as everybody knows, takes longer. And it's like, why are you doing this? What did I do? And then, of course, on top of that, she be, uh, even when she came completely out of it and she was completely conscious, she was combative with everybody, refusing to uh, aid them, just saying, listen, I'm okay. I just want to get out of there. And I'm like, but you brought this upon yourself, and now you're forcing yourself on me. Why do you do this?
0: Josh, I- I'm going to tell you that I've reached a point where I don't blame my patients. I don't blame them for having bad veins. I don't blame them for having diabetes. I recognize the cause and effect. I mean, the other side of me is a health educator, you know. Uh, how about your smoking patients, you know? Everybody has risk factors. How about people on donor cycles? I mean, motorcycle. No, I meant donor cycles. Um, you know, every, every, I, you can't get angry at your patients anymore. I just. I would rather. Well, no, him. I'm
2: not even saying that. I'm, you know what? I can accept every every other aspect that was going on with her. I can accept that, you know, poor veins and everything else. But at the end of it, when you're out of that state, when I when when I've done my part, and now you're still being, you know, um, uh, ag- aggressive or or um, just obnoxious. I mean, what's the point? You know, why? You're, do you think the
0: only problem a 750-pound person has is that they weigh 750 pounds? You don't think there's a psychiatric disorder involved? It's not all endocrine. It's not all endocrine. They're, they're, they have their own anger. They have their own concerns about themselves and, and their relationship with others. And they're not going to be nice to us because I'll bet you that she's been treated a hundred times before, and there were people who mocked her, who were who belittled her. Who accused her of bringing this on herself?
2: And uh, you know, yeah, you know what? And uh, that I think that sort of attitude doesn't isn't just associated with Weight Dave. I think we've all had patients that were you know uh, belligerent, angry, had issues going on, and they took it out on on the world. but, yes. you know, I mean, I, I'm just saying that it's just one more thing. You know, my, it, it turned out that my heaviest patient of the day was actually, you know, quite uh, inter, interactive, very friendly, very nice, um, almost slightly apologetic. And, it, you know, at that point we go, listen, you know, don't apologize. This is the situation you're in. This is the situation we're in. We're going to take the best care of you we can. Huh. You know, no apologies necessary.
0: 800 pounds is not that heavy
1: if you have eight people lifting.
2: Yeah, it's still heavy. I don't care
1: what you say. Well, uh, it, it, you know, when it comes to stuff like that, it, it's, what I've always found with, with patients, it's, it's, like you said, you can always get enough people there to help you um, lift and whatnot. But when you're trying to get them out of small areas, you can only fit so many people in that yeah. area. You know, so, and that's where I think the, the challenge comes, and, 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 and this is the time. And where
2: does the rule about not getting yourself injured, you know, where right. is the rule about live to fight another day come in? It's still rule number one. It's so still
0: rule number one.
2: Just lifting without, that, helping that person come up to a better breathing position, if the person's big enough and you're pulling on their arms to try to help them get up, you can pull out your back.
1: Uh, it's funny. That's the one thing I've risked uh, over the years, and that's the one thing that I've I've never um, really watched enough out of. You know, I mean, uh, enough of. I've I've had patients that were just lifting assistance. You know, and it's it's you get the guy and not whether eight hundred pounds, but he's you know three hundred plus whatever, and it's you and your partner and you're trying to get him to get him off the floor and 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 you find yourself you know not calling for help, which you. Know, which you should because it's 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 you know the person's dead weight they can't they're not helping they can't assist you in any way, um, and I find myself like you know, sort of uh, you know calling for uh, uh, on the EMS guard to give me enough strength to get the person off the floor, you know, um, because many times though where I, after the call I said my God you know I should have just called for backup on that call instead of you know struggling.
0: Yeah, our mentality is action. That's who we are. We don't stop and uh, we, we, we do foolish things to ourselves. Hey, I want to let you know my core has a bariatric stretcher, and we get calls for the bariatric stretcher. Of course, you know, in my volunteer corps, when it happens to me at 3 o'clock in the morning that I'm going to pick up my ambulance, load the bariatric stretcher, drive another nine miles to the core that needs my bariatric stretcher, then I'm going to load the patient onto the bariatric stretch and get them into the back of their ambulance, take their stretch and follow them to their hospital, and then we switch stretches and I bring it back again. Just another side of... Uh, but,
2: you know, and that's a great point. I mean, you know, you I don't think you're necessarily the typical um, volunteer, Dave. I think that, you know, you believe a little bit more. You put in a little bit more. You're an educator so there's a little bit more, you know, of your enthusiasm behind it. But, you know, you're a volunteer and you get a call for a bariatric job. What's the likelihood that you're just going to roll over your bed and let somebody else get that call?
0: It's not going to happen on Thursday nights. <laughs> if I've called in and I'm on duty, I'm on duty. I don't have a choice. I, I, Do you think everybody has, works that way? I, yeah, I think, well, All of the guys I work with, when it's their night, when it's their day, when they're on the ship, they're on. They're on. Now, what happens when it's not their day and they get a bariatric call and they're running down to help? Often not. And, you know, um, in the volunteer service, are people looking for the glory calls? Maybe.
2: So so these people who wouldn't jump uh, up at 3 o'clock in the morning – because it's not their day on the bariatric. If they had a accident on the LIE or something like that, they'd be first out of their bed and running to it.
0: Perhaps. Okay. But there are people like that, and I, and I don't want to. It's it's not it's not all it's not most. There are some people like that.
2: But hey, it just goes he, further. To, go ahead.
0: Even even you even the paid folk, you know. I mean, i when I did my rotations in the city, and and there was a gun to the chest. It was like flies around poop. People were getting, put me on that job. I was in an ambulance that was doing, I think, 90 miles an hour down Atlantic Avenue to be the first ambulance on the scene for a gunshot wound to the chest. And it was horrifying. (laughs) You know, I like the enthusiasm, but that was crazy. You you don't have to be paid or volunteer to want a glorified job. You know what? you know the ones you want to talk
2: the exciting about. Exciting jobs,
0: right? The adrenaline rush.
2: Mhm. Mhm. But it, it, you know, it—it's sort of my point that you know, depending on, it's not only the person's attitude, but it depends on what they're doing to themselves that either um, uh, brings you in, in, engages you, or or alienates you, as a as a provider. And uh I think that's a, a part of health care that we greatly ignore.
0: I'm gonna ask you because I'm gonna go up on it. Uh, not I'm going back. Do you know where to get your your nearest bariatric stretcher? What would be the ETA if you needed it?
2: For me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's a we we the hospital the our our system keeps one because it's not a we don't have a bariatric unit. We don't have a specially equipped unit. We have one stretcher. You have bariatric
0: residents in your attachment area.
2: Oh, uh, I'm sure we do. You know, we're a big hospital. Uh, but uh, as far as our stretcher goes, we, uh, that I, if, if, uh, I'm pretty sure we have one. We might have two because we're a fairly big outfit, but I, I know that we have one. It's not carried on the ambulances normally, and if we get to a job, unless and we try to get that information before we even go. Right. But unless, um, uh, most of the time, if we need it, we'd run another bus out with it, and it'll, take, it'll delay the job by uh, 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it is.
0: Which you may have to do.
2: Which, and then I, what do you
1: do? I do like left. I said, you, but then, like I said, guys, it, that's when, you know, it, it's the entire call revolves around getting the patient out and not what's medically going on with the patient. So it's like you've got a 45-minute a wait, let's say, for that, that, uh, that specialized ambulance well, or stretcher to get there. And
2: it's not entirely fair, Jim, because I'm talking about transport, whereas when we were talking about 911, and facilities are, are the facilities are run by the fire department and generally speaking what they'll do is if the person's able to be handled by a engine team which is five you know uh five fairly strong fairly fit firefighters um and uh they'll they'll manage to you know with the help of everybody else they'll manage to muscle the guy out i have seen jobs where they had to stop everything, get a hoist, get it to the building, um, take out the window, and all of that. And that was uh, – I've done you know, that. That's, that's a time – that's time-consuming, too. It's not – It know, is. A, you know, and I'll be – I've been on jobs where we've had uh, bariatric patients um, in extremis, and they died they, simply because we just couldn't get
1: – You know, Well, and, think about the ones that the, the ones that you get that are sitting in a chair – and it's really pretty much a, uh, it's, a, you know, it's more of a transport than anything else. But in order to get them out, you've got to lay them flat, you know. And They hate it. Oh, my God, they're, they're going to die because you're laying them flat on, you know, on, the, on the ground to get them out of there. So, Josh, we had a person
0: who we, uh, we, we did a ROSC. We got a ROSC. They were in cardiac arrest on the second floor of their house, 400 pounds, and uh, trying to get out. You know, we put them on a board, and I said, I'm not going to be at the bottom of this board, and I'm not going to be at the top, because going down the steps, there was only room for one person to hold the bottom, one person to hold the top. And I called the tower ladder, which, by the way, they loved. Only 400 people showed up to drive the tower ladder. Right. And, uh, and we we went out the window of the second story and put them on the uh, on the cherry picker, And it it was a very efficient way of doing it. Now, that's not the sixth floor of a walk-up,
2: or you can't get the person out the door. But at that point, it doesn't matter, does it? At that point, it doesn't matter. You can't move them to the door and to the normal egress. They have to go out part of the building that was never meant for you to enter and exit.
0: So absolutely.
2: You know, so it doesn't matter. It was a
0: window. Right. It was just a window. Right.
1: Right. Um, guys, I just want to talk a little bit about the sponsor real quick before we go on, and I want to get on to another topic and, and uh, get Dave's take on it, and yours too, Josh, of course. You know, I can keep you quiet for five seconds. But, um, That's why I'm here, Jim. Yeah. I just wanted to give a little talk about uh, EMS Manager, um, talk about how we are sponsored by them. Um, they have been consistently helping EMS agencies save time and energy with their innovative web-based software for staff scheduling and management. They have a mobile web app that's accessible from smartphones and other mobile devices, and it's got an easy-use web interface. It's viewable from anywhere on the World Wide Web, and you can check your own schedule, and managers and staff can actually oversee, manage, and make changes to employee schedules from anywhere. And actually, I have a quote here from Craig Johnson. He's the director over in Benzie County EMS in uh, Michigan. And he says that we appreciate EMS Manager's ability to allow us to notify all employees at the same time of upcoming education and training sessions. And the mobile web app allows us to fill shifts, approve time off, and approve or deny trades all from the palm of our hands. And we no longer have to be in front of a computer to do this. EMS Manager is a lifesaver for our agency. So. With that, you know, it's affordable, too. Pricing is based on the size of your organization, and because it's web-based, as we mentioned, your employee schedule and software is located in the cloud, and that means there's no additional local IT costs that you have to worry about. And there's always free training, free tech support, and free system software updates. So if you want this for your system, check it out. It's free, customizable, and it's a nice little trial. Get it over at EMS Manager. It's at emsmanager.net. And once again, I want to thank EMS Manager for sponsoring EMS Office Hours and other shows. From the ProMed Network, EMS Manager is proud to support EMS providers and managers through this sponsorship and the support of what we do. So show your support from them. Take a few minutes and sign up. If your agency is looking for something like this, have them sign up. Get that free trial at EMSManager.net. Show them that you appreciate their support by trying out the software. Visit EMSManager.net. It's for Lattex EMS Manager for online employee scheduling and workforce management. And if you go sign up, of course, be sure to tell them that you heard it right here at EMS Over Hours from Jim and Josh. So, with that said, um, I want to get um, your uh, 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 um, take on on something. Um, you know, a lot of times you get. A, UMass educators and and people that present at conferences or at uh, CMEs and things like that. And some some people teach um, with a lot of um, scientific or clinical uh, angle on it, and other people uh, approach it from more of a, uh, I guess, a street point of view, you know, how – what they're trying to teach is is done on the street and and give the uh, people attending more of the um, street medics, you know, hands-on sort of uh, uh, take on the topic. Um, and I'm wondering, to me, I think that there's a time and place for both methods um, of, of getting that information out there to providers. Um, I'm just wondering what you guys think. Do you think there's a place to, you know, for one, of the, for one or the other? Do you prefer one or the other? Do you think that the sort of the um, streetwise uh, angle of teaching is, shouldn't be done at all? Or do you think that there's a sort of a niche for, for both and depending upon the topic and depending upon even the audience? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I I
2: wanted to talk about training tonight. Um, it's a, You're it's a little bit it's a little bit of a hot spot for me um, because I think that we so often, like so many jobs in EMS, we pick the people that uh, because it's a job. I mean, it's rea- it's rare that you can just get into it on your own. You usually have to get started somewhere, you know, within so an organization. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, so then it's a special. You know, you're off the bus. It's a, it's, it's considered a, a, a special assignment type thing. Right. And uh, so often we don't get the most qualified people. And even if they're qualified as far as having the paper behind them, they don't have the skill set necessary to, to deliver content. And it really, uh, it really freaking annoys me um, because. You know, we
1: we all suffer because of it. All through school. Uh, You mean we suffer because why? Because the people that are teaching are the, they got the job because of who they know, not necessarily because of what they know, you mean?
2: Uh, It's, yeah, a little bit more of who they know, how they play the politics than how they deliver content. Huh. Well,
0: maybe there's both going on. It's, It's like any job, I think.
2: Well, you know, my mom, who was in uh, was a, uh, a an assistant professor, used to say, "Why are the uh, politics in academia so vicious? Because there's so little at stake.
0: They've <laughs> got nothing else to fight about." <laughs> uh, oh. Oh.
2: But you know, I mean, I, you know, Dave, I, I'm sure that you have a, a a thought or two to uh to give to that, but. Um, When you have somebody that is not, um, you know, like, look, uh, going back to your original question, let me not stray too far. Going back to your original question, is there a place for street, you know, the way we do it in the street versus what we're told in the classroom? I think a number of things are happening. As medicine, as, as EMS has gained ground and gained traction as a real discipline, there has been, more conclusive evidence um, that backs what we do in the street or says, you know, what we were doing is wrong in changing that. And I, I'll point to trauma. You know, there, there used to be um, a lot of, you know, get a lot of fluid in them quickly. Now we're learning that that is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Um, there they is, did that uh, in
0: the ER too. Don't
2: forget. Yeah, right. But that – and where did these things come from? I mean, they came from the empirical, you know, science of the doctors who were saying that this is the thing to do not because they had a lack of empirical evidence. Now we have, unfortunately, a dearth of empirical trauma evidence, and we've really been taking a serious look at trauma. You know, now now the the, the call is different. It was that tourniquets were bad. You know, But somewhere along the line, for hundreds of years before that, tourniquets were the way to go. People knew that tourniquets worked. And then all of a sudden, in the enlightened age of EMS, for many years, tourniquets were bad. Now we have tourniquets again, and they—that we know that they
1: work. Is
0: that there. what you were talking about, Jim? What? I, I didn't get the sense that that was exactly what you were looking up.
1: Well, I mean, I, I understand what Josh is saying. I, I, I mean, uh, it's something. What, what I use, the way that, that I do it through my website, and you know, a lot of times I try to break things down into smaller little chunks. You know, I'll take a topic, and I'll just focus on one, one little thing on that topic, and you know. Uh, uh,
0: I, I just saw your, uh, your little talk on ribs.
1: Yeah, like it I did. Was I do. Finite. I do, it
0: was yeah. finite. It was. Right to get it
1: all. Yeah, I try to do little things like that, um, and I try to 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 do it more of the t- giving people more of the information that they absolutely need to know to function, you know, out in the street. And and I would try to stress that you know there's their instructors and their books and textbooks or whatever are going to give a lot more information than what I can give in a small little uh, video. But at the same time, I mean, I've given you know some things where it's been much more. Uh, in depth and much more research based and based on um you know more of the science you know, like I, I did a i did a presentation to centerlearn on uh using automatic uh, transport ventilators so you know that was more uh i guess structured because through you know Central and they have to have a certain uh, level of you know education content and, and you know proof of where the content's coming from and, and all that type of stuff. So I, I kind of can can see the value of it on both both sides. Um, but I'm wondering if you think there are certain topics where you shouldn't do that where you, where it's not that beneficial to veer away from the um, more structured you know teaching modalities you know what I mean, um, and, st- you know, and, and, and kind of fo- and keeping the certain content with that structure and not breaking away from it because it's just going to either confuse students or confuse people who are new to the content, um, you know, or is it that you should be more structured for people that are new and then the people that have been exposed to it, that classroom-based structured, you know, format uh you know enough times, but now those people might benefit more from the kind of pared down nuts and bolts streetwise sort of um, take on a specific topic.
0: That's a huge question.
1: I know you, you, I, you you get it, out. it
0: took me forever to get I, it out of there. Out of my you, mouth. you
2: should have put that in parts
0: <laughs> well i got I got lots of answers for that because you hit so many things
2: so many
0: uh, but that doesn't
2: mean that my answers are right they're just my opinion Don't no, go for them <laughs> and i'm not laughing at i just you know what and it's not fair because people who don't know you uh and i listen we're we're not bosom buddies i haven't known you for a hundred years but i've been in your your training sessions i spent a few hours now on the phone with you at least and i'm getting a picture of the Detail-oriented, truth in in um, truth in teaching. <laughs> yeah, a truth in teaching that you like to do, and you're you and you're accurate with your information. I mean, you're a really smart guy. So it's like when you say that I have a way of answering all of those things, I I laugh only because I know it's true.
0: Ah, well, I'm going to try and, and hit as many points as I can. Uh, uh, you know,
1: just we're just we're just shooting the breeze here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 first of all, first of all, I had a history teacher that was god-awful. He was awful. And I went over to him after class and I said, I don't even remember what the topic was. Tories and Whigs. I don't know. I went over to him and I said, I'm just not getting what you're talking about. And he says to me, listen, I told you 300 times how to do this. I'm going to tell it to you again. Now, if he told me 300 times, why would he tell me 301 times? And then, then you've got teachers who teach you, it's one way, it's teacher-centered. They teach what they teach, and it's your job to learn it from whatever it is they put out in front of you. Yeah. And, that's, and that, that's certainly not a great idea, but that doesn't mean there aren't lots of teachers who do that. You know, I, I remember professors. I would raise my hand, and they put their hand up like, no, no, I'm not, ask, I'm not taking questions now. But, but the, the true job of the true educational professional is to make it student-directed. The student needs to learn this, and, and we recognize that. We have to do almost anything we can to do it. Having said that, I believe there is a tremendous place for science in this, for things to be accurate, for people to understand what they need to do. I think, I think the more that, you know, what, so, so let me ask you. You want a paramedic class that taught you simply how to do the things you needed to do, ripped out the protocols and said, memorize this and this is what you got and then and then if somebody steps outside the box as a patient we're doomed we need people who think we need people who know principles not just not just behaviors not just actions not a not a textbook uh, or, or a cookie cutter approach I hate using that phrase somebody else I know used it and I, I just hate it but um, but I, I think it's important well you know Josh and, and I'm not going to put you on the spot Josh you know in the class that I was teaching, that 12-week class that you were in, I I, I always referenced the science behind it. I always told you where I learned it, uh, whether it came from a, um, a, an anatomy book or a, an electrophysiology book, and I tried to make it relevant. It wasn't just about squiggly lines. If it If it didn't affect what you were going to do in the field, and actually the stuff I was doing, what, what I was hoping to bring to your attention is is if we always do what's simply in our protocols, we're going to
2: kill a bunch of people. Right, right, because that, one size doesn't fit all. It doesn't. It and doesn't. and one of the things that, you know, I sort of would love to highlight, and which I will right now, is the aspect that I think that when you have somebody who understands uh, the uh, the depth of a subject, you don't get those – Uh, singular answers. Well, this is the way it is. Uh, I think when you get somebody who just either on the surface understands a subject or just understands what they're supposed to regurgitate to you, then you get those, you know, when you ask them about it, when you ask them about something as a student, you get the same answer then and again and again and again. What I've always found and what, you know, scores for me personally and gets me Good reviews as an instructor is that first of all i generally i try not to teach something that i 'm not infused with myself, so I have an interest, I have a depth of the subject, and the second part is is if somebody goes and asks me about something and either uh, i don 't know it or i don 't understand it or i don 't have the the question, i don 't have the answer I say look i 'll get back to you i 'm never afraid I have no um, I have no ego when it comes to this. I'm I'm there as, you know, trying to enlighten, trying to deliver a new subject, but if I don't know it, if I don't know an aspect of it, I'll get back to you. That's but good the, teaching. The last part of this is that if you go and ask me something, and I've just lectured on that subject, then I have at least a clue that whatever I use to deliver that information to you didn't work, didn't get through. So it, be, it behooves me to use a different method, to, uh, call a different that example. And there you go. We call that example. Well, but but then, that's professional teaching, right? It is. I mean, that's profe- Now, do we get that in EMS? Are, are our teachers always professional? Do they have this structure and information and, and, and education behind them? What profession is always professional? The, what
0: astronaut's?
2: No, That's, I mean no,
0: I don't think so. Uh,
2: okay, all right. Not always. Maybe I shouldn't have used. Uh, I,
0: I I I. Well, what do you think? Mostly, mostly. Do you think the EMS instructors? Well, you know, I I want to go back just a little ways. I don't know. But That's
2: going to get me in trouble. If I all
0: right, know. I was I was there. I was there back in the uh, the late eighties, um, when New York State made their first certifying credentialing moves towards having people teach Mm -hmm. all right when they first made CLIs and CICs I was there I was one of the people chosen from Suffolk County uh, from Arnie Becker who was the director of training to go to the state and get trained to be the regional faculty so we could come back and train instructor coordinators before that they were called senior instructors and uh, and come back and train these the skill instructors so that we, they would be certified lab instructors. And the interesting thing was, now just, just so you know, at the time I was an assistant principal. I already had three graduate degrees in education. I was getting trained by a great guy, great guy, John Politis. Maybe you know him. Uh, yeah, he's, he's terrific. And what a terrific educator he is. But interestingly, a team of paramedics put together a curriculum for training people to teach. And uh, I I doubt very much that their background was in education. They had done some really good things. And uh, I I fortunately was one of two people from Suffolk County, and the other guy was an assistant principal also. And we both went there, and we both came back to the county and started doing the training. But up until then, I, I don't know how they decided who was going to teach. Some of the people were knowledgeable. Because I, by that time, I had already been in EMS for 10 years. Uh, my instructor, who they told me was a great guy, he didn't know much. I'm not going to name anybody. Um, he had a team of people that were, went from skillful, teaching skills, to um, the people I wouldn't trust to put a Band-Aid on me. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, um, and when we took our skill exam back in those days, when we took the skill exam for EMT, we took it as a group. There were five of us working on one patient, and the patient went into cardiac arrest. We put him back down. We started doing CPR. He woke up. He broke his arm. <laughs> you know, it was it was kitchen sink. We had to do everything. And, and I don't even know how they could possibly evaluate any one person. One of the guys in my group, again, without mentioning names, wasn't sober. Was so not nearly sober, um that all we could have this guy do was lift and put down, Uh he did no assessment, he didn't, you know, nothing. And he passed. he passed. He passed. He passed with everybody else. So the educational standards weren't very good. I think they're getting better. I think uh you have organizations like NAMSI now, which is trying to get in and uh, set up instructor certificates. I probably mentioned that. Right.
2: NAMSI. Yes.
0: yeah, And uh, I, th- I think that's good, and I think, Education, just like uh, medicine, there's science to education. It's not just, you know, some people are just. There's
2: a real science to education. Adults there is. Learn differently than children. Yep, absolutely.
0: And they actually have a different name for it. Not te- teaching adults is
2: not pedagogy.
0: Pedagogy is like pediatrics. That's what the peda in pedagogy is about. That's a big word. That pedagogy. Is- yeah, it's like pedophile. And it refers to children, you I know, so. That up Pedagogy? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> notes. but notes. What, what's it called when you teach adults? What's the science of teaching adults?
2: Adult Adultygy,
0: adult, that's right. Adult, yes, it starts adult, with an G. A. No. Okay.
2: Jerry? Jerry? <laughs> Do <laughs> I get a Jerry? Uh,
0: uh, no, Andragogy. But, but but in general, good teaching good teaching is good teaching. But there's a
2: science. The, the, the point is is that there's a science behind a good teaching, and there's a science behind uh, information delivery. And I think that we're still you know again we we tend to be the the bastard redheads shoeless step, stepchildren of just about everything that we do, and it really is infuriating when you have people who have been. Uh, who've taken a, uh, a few classes, maybe even taken a train-to-trainer class here and there, um, and they just are well-known within the system. They become the instructors because they don't want to work the bus anymore. And it's completely inappropriate, and everybody loses.
0: So, Jim, when somebody said to
2: you, uh, that's not the way we do
0: it on the street, is that what you're talking about?
1: No not, no, not necessarily. You, I, you know, I don't know. i, I, I I guess where I'm coming from with this is that I guess that's that's one way to put it. I mean, because you, you're you're getting the information out there, and it's almost as if if you're not scientific enough, you're going to get people coming back at you and say, "Well, you know, that's not really true. X, Y, Z. You know, I, I, I if you look at the research from this person or that person or or you know, and they try to kind of, you know, one-up you on what you're delivering. Yeah. Or, or you get the people who come to you and say, like you said, well, that's just too much information. We're never going to use that in the street. You know, that's really just too much information. It's not really useful. Um, That's not the way it gets done in, in EMS, you know.
0: Does that happen in school? Yeah. Do the doctors ever say, hey, that's too much
1: information? Okay. Maybe in the head
2: yeah but wait, you know I mean on defense of what Jim is saying that there's an aspect that you're you're drinking, you know, first of all, it's the structure of what we're doing um, and within even medicine, you know there's an aspect of you know this is good to know and then that's critical to know and the stuff absolutely no know, you know so you know there are there tends to be a because our classroom time is so short in getting the certificate and, and or getting the degree, there tends to be a lot more absolutely you need to know. And so, you know, it, it lowers your ability to teach things that are nice to know as well.
0: So, like, like, have you ever had to recite the Krebs cycle to your patients so that
2: they would be all right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a, that probably is a nice to know. It's foundational. So,
2: wait, I have a, uh, you know, and I fess ignorance in this. Um, if you are a ALS instructor, ACLS instructor, do you okay. have to be an ACLS provider? No. If If you are the person running
0: the course, you have to be an ACLS Can provider. Can you teach
2: an ACLS class without being a paramedic I, or a nursery doctor? Um, wait. Wait a minute. Wait a
0: minute. If you take the AC,
2: so maybe what you're asking me is can an EMT take an ACLS class? Okay, let's get the brass tacks, yes. Can they, not can they take it, can they teach it?
0: You know, they might be able
2: to. <laughs> yeah,
1: they, they are, they are I, able to do it. Uh, they yeah. are. Yeah, I, I actually and know somebody I know. who taught an ACLS class and they were, they were in a paramedic. They didn't run it, but they were able to. You know, they weren't, the, I guess, the name that goes on the letterhead of who the course sponsor was and, and whatever. Um, but they were able to, you know, the instructor, some, right, right, be right. the primary
2: instructor. Find yeah. the card for the class and all everything. And here's my, my point with that. At what point do we require some reality of somebody who's actually run a real-life code teaching this? And I understand there's a difference – you know, as we're staying here between real life and what uh, and and classroom experience, but I think that that experience helps bring sort of a real touch to the stuff that's being taught within a class.
0: Josh, that's very interesting because to become a skill instructor in New York State, you have to be active on the ambulance up until about two or three years ago. To be the person running the class, the, the certified instructor coordinator, you had to be active on the ambulance. They never defined that. And if, you're, if your agency chief signs you off as active because you were on one call in the last three years, then you were active. But they have since then, since that time, said that the person running the EMT or the paramedic class, the certified instructor coordinator, no longer has to be active in the field. I I suspect some of that has to do with, you know. Is that a detriment or is that a positive? Well, I think that there are some people who I know are not active on the ambulance and, and losing them from the instructional team would be horrible. Right. But they don't have to be the person running the course. I agree, I agree. In, but in but things, they, they can now be the person running the
2: course. But and at I, the, the same time, if you've never had to start an IV on a real person, how would you even know that diabetics are harder to start IVs on?
0: You probably read that somewhere or they could be listening to us right now. Uh, or but, hear other parents' pitch about it. But it, it's, I, it's, They're not going to teach it. I, I think it's a good thing to be able to do the things you're going to teach. Now, having said that, do you think every gymnastics coach has to be able to do all the things that they're teaching in gymnastics or every dance teacher has to be able to demonstrate every move? Because some of these some of these folks aren't able to do the things, but they do a great
2: job teaching it. Yeah, Yeah, but they're also there when it's being practiced, when it's being done. They're yes. there or they're on the sidelines during the, the whole thing. And, and there's a different aspect of being a gymnastics coach because they're watching the performance of the athlete. When you're talking about running a code or ACLS, you, you go beyond uh, the performance, you need to perform. And I think there's a subtlety in that language, but I think that it's uh, all, still all important. I know.
0: don't disagree with you. I was just being my own devil's advocate.
2: And I was playing devil's advocate right back at you, Dave. Yes, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's nice to know the devil has an advocate. <laughs> yes,
1: he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> Well, I um, I do – I had a couple of points in my head, but I lost
2: – You were mind. so fascinated in listening to the No, you words. had
1: said something earlier, and I can't remember. I want to make a comment about it, but um, – About teaching? Yeah, yeah something about uh, –
0: But I, I think the idea that if there, or if or there are if there are techniques out on the street that people say, we don't do what they showed you in class. This is what we do, and this is how it works. What we do in class – has to work on the street. And if somebody has something good on the street that works, they've got to bring it to the class. They've got to bring it before. You know, it, it needs peer review. Whatever it is, to, you know, so much of what we do is, is just anecdotal, based upon anecdotal, from spinal immobilization to the tourniquets that you were talking about to uh, some of the first aid. i got these great first aid books from, the, from 1920 that tells you how to cure the, uh, the hiccups by pulling your tongue out. Um, as far as it can go, and some some nonsense stuff.
1: All right. Let we'll me um, find out if, if you have a mental handicap when you do that, if you, you know, bigger than your face or something. Hmm.
2: If your fist is bigger than your face,
1: if your hand is bigger than right, your face. And then I think right now the
0: first sign is, is if you're looking to see if your hand is bigger than your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> People are looking at their fists right now <laughs> and measuring it against them. do you know
1: face? that they used to put a joke on your school? If your hand's bigger than your face, that means, you know, you, you you got a mental problem, whatever. And then you go do it, and they smack your face with your own hands. And they go, "Yeah, hey, you got a mental you problem. You go so for it. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, that was junior high. Or, um, junior or high, high school, whatever. Uh,
2: it's, Yesterday. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, it's the difference. ED, ED doc,
1: yeah, behind the ambulance. So listen, um, next week we are going to have um, talking about the direct to medic program. Um, next week on ah, the show. I didn't mean it. So um, You're talking about EMT and medic in one one One, big, one big juicy happy I don't have a happy one big pre admitted
0: and just go through.
1: Yeah,
2: enjoy, it, baby. You're gonna be on the streets, and you're gonna be in charge, large and in
1: charge. Yeah. Um, uh, you want to
0: save it uh, for next week, though.
1: Yeah, we're gonna have the uh, the program manager for the for the program from North Shore L.I.J. is gonna be with us, um, and he is going to discuss with us the the program, what um, it's all about, and all that type of stuff.
2: Okay. Cool. Hey! In the last ten seconds, uh, we're reaching a milestone. I saw
1: you pub up there—almost two hundred thousand listeners. Yeah, I'm hoping by January we will uh, at least surpass or meet that. Knock it out of the park. Um, I think uh, looking at our numbers, only only in eight years. If our numbers—if um, our numbers actually continue to where they are, then we should probably meet.
2: Hello. Oh man, that's such an yeah we got you now. We got you now.
1: You, Jim, Jim. Oh you Jimmy. Yes. All right. I wasn't sure. I don't know why. I did get a pop-up on my on my Skype thing saying that the connection was something, so I might have been. So
2: have you been. got 200,000, and then you were on to, like, oh, yeah, and then we lost you.
1: Oh, no. I, I was just saying that if our numbers are, remain the same the way they have been, then we should meet that without any big push. But, you know, I want to make sure we get that milestone. So I've been trying to push it out there and getting more people to – to uh listen come to, to the to the block look radio or the podcast on ems dot com, and uh listen. what are you offering for the 200,000th person um <laughs> a hat what? on the back and a hearty no, thank you actually you know what if if i had a way to to track that then i would definitely you know offer something you know there's always stuff to give away but um we're
2: going to give away a free session in your 12 league class dave Oh.
1: <laughs> hey
0: I would do that I would give them a, I would comp them for the course
1: yeah I wish, I wish you had a especially way
0: especially now especially now that you're telling me you can't track it
1: yeah <laughs> I wish I had a way I wish you had a way to track it uh, I'll an ice cream coat
2: yeah. all the listeners look under your seat
1: right no
2: don't do that don't do that we don't you. know where you're sitting it could yeah, be happy.
1: bad the other thing I just want to say before we close, I wanted to say, give a, uh, a shout-out to uh, Windows, the operating system, and the Windows tablets, family of tablets. I don't know if you've noticed the commercial out there for the Windows tablet. Um, it's an EMT in the back. Yeah, it's an EMT o- with a paramedic patch. Well, I know. So How do you know what's EMD? What are you talking about? Do you do they, as far they, as you know, the, the patch is exactly
2: like the New York City paramedic patch. Right, it's right, White right. background, star Life trimmed in
1: red, with a blue EMT. But it's on. not. The, you can't say that. Anyway, I think <laughs> I think they did a good job representing, um, you know. The,
2: well, she was plain point. spoken she was well spoken yes. plain spoken practical everything
1: was great you're right i'm i'm pissing on the details you know the the you know i just thought was you know checking the, the, the checking out the you know the, putting the bag in the back of the truck and it was a long board on the bench um you know with head blocks on it and whatever and you know. to me it was you know it, it's it's i think a good representation it wasn't just some you know Uh, uh, crazy thing of just having somebody in a uniform sitting there you know what I mean so like Cisco my ambulance talks to me yeah 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 (laughs) no barkings on it yeah you know what I mean so I thought it was pretty pretty cool commercial and the more I've been seeing it the more I've been you know looking at it and uh, and, uh, appreciating that they actually you know give us a a good view of the EMS I think you know, with that, even when she gets the call at one point, you know, at right. the end of the commercial. Okay, okay. So. Shout out! Shout out to. That's it, and you know, I'm not getting a commission or a kickback if anybody buys a Windows tablet. Although, if you do buy a Windows tablet by going to Amazon.com from the EMSSEO.com site, then I will get a commission. But if you just go to Amazon on your own and buy one, then I'm not going to get shit. So. <laughs> just okay, saying. then. Just saying. Right, you know, and
2: that was the first curse word for the evening.
1: No, it wasn't. No, I, I cursed. We a,
2: started with them.
1: I cursed. In the we very did
2: be, not. We didn't yeah. say anything. No,
1: I think I, I think I said the F word in the
2: very beginning about it. You did, uh, right? Did he? did he really? I didn't even right. notice. Look it When I
1: said, "Who are
0: you guys?"
1: Yeah, very. But I hadn't said anything. Now, what I, I, you know, what I, I was so. Um, but you know, of course, people that curse, you can trust them. That's how you know. You know. <laughs> yes. Shit! I didn't know that. Yeah. Damn straight. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can Fucking trust. well,
2: right. Curse! Did I actually say that? I didn't say that. All
1: right, guys. Um, I guess I'd say we've gone a little bit over, which is okay. But um, so hopefully next week we'll see you both back here, and we'll have uh, Vincent. Um, oh, what the hell is his last name? I gotta look it up again. Good. Write it down for your show notes. Excellent. Good job. What? gentleman from North Shore University. Yeah, Vince, Vincent papasadoro Dero, papasadoro It's easy for you to say. Yeah. Well, I've been staring at it. I, He's I'm at LearnEMT. LearnEMT.org. So if anyone's listening and you're going to join us next week, you can go to that website, take a look at the program, uh, maybe send me some questions about it. If you want, I can present them to Vincent during the show or you can call in during the show or chat with us live and ask the questions live during the show. So again, he's at learnemt.org. All right, guys. So that's it, and I guess we'll uh, see you next week.
2: Sounds good, Jim.
1: See you guys. All Bye, right. Josh. Bye, Jim. All right. Have a great week, guys. All right, guys. Anybody have any other questions, concerns, ideas for a show here at EMF Over South? Send them over to me. My email address is jhoff at... EMSSEO.com. And until next week, as always, Jim Hoffman from EMS Office Hours. Stay safe.